0: Hey sports fans, you're tuned into the Emerald City Fandom Podcast.
1: We're Seattle fans talking Seattle sports.
0: We're your hosts. I'm Connor Frederiksen.
1: And I'm Sam Hoganson.
0: You ready to get started?
1: Let's send
0: it! Welcome back to the pod folks this is episode 17 where we have some sounders and Seahawks talk for you today and uh, joining us this episode as is the case every time that we're talking some sounders is is our our main man Justin from over the top EPL Justin how are you doing tonight sir
2: doing great guys fresh off recording that podcast and on to this one so it's oh, just man. love the transition into seattle sports now i can talk local and get on sam for football so that's always my favorite activity love
0: it. wait yeah is, there's gonna be some good conversation i think later in this and some good lively debate later this episode when we talk some seahawks so justin what are you drinking tonight
2: I am sipping on, it's my last one. I always run out when I talk to you guys because I need like two beers for this podcast. But uh, we got some Mac and Jack African Ale. Um, So that's one of my go-tos during the season. So got to drink local. What about you guys? Go ahead, Sam.
1: Well, I am drinking some Jack Daniels Shocker. Although it's the fancy kind, single barrel select. Very nice. Highly recommend it. How about you, Connor?
0: I am uh, drinking some Cody Road, which is a barrel Manhattan out of... Uh, it's Mississippi River Distilling Company out of Iowa. Pretty tasty stuff. Um, can't find it probably very many places, but I have a connection.
1: so <laughs> Ooh. Hit them up.
0: Yeah, if you do find them, though, definitely definitely a fan so try out the cody road all right guys yeah let's uh so justin <laughs> connor what what happened uh on saturday when was that the 12th 12th yeah, yeah. saturday the 12th at around 5 30 that night what the hell happened
2: Well, like recent Husky activity, I've blown that from my memory. So I'll try to remember as well as I can. Um, You know, MLS road teams, it's an interesting fact. The road teams have lost nine of the last 12 MLS Cup finals, I believe. And it's just, uh, you see this in the MLS more than any worldwide soccer league, where you just have road team struggles and games. And so I think that was a big part of it. Really slow start. Hated how we set up our lineup. I know we talked about this in the pre show lineup. I was like, well, I want to see some of the substitutes that came in in the Western Conference finals. So I want to see Gustav Svensson start. I want to see Leerdom start. Maybe Joe, maybe Brad Smith, but you know, I was open to that one. but we saw the same lineup, uh, which, you know, I was a little concerned about because we did come out really flat against Minnesota mm-hmm. in, the, in the Western Conference final. And we came out flat again. I mean, credit Columbus, down two players to COVID coming out and really taking the bull by the horns. Uh, and as I mentioned in the, pre, in the preview, Zalarian, their number 10, uh, who plays in the center attacking mid role, really outran our midfield and was the star of the show for them. And just, they really jumped on us in the first half while we were really lifeless. And so when you go down, what was it? Two nil at halftime, mm-hmm. it's a really tough position to be in. Obviously we made some substitutions at halftime, but just nothing doing. And we had some couple opportunities. We hit the post or like flashed wide where it was goal line clearance, but really couldn't do anything. And then their third goal was a really nice goal by Zalarian and just really buried us. So I mean, at the end of the day, I think just flat, it looks like, as you said, when we were talking off, Mike Ladero looked like he was nursing a little injury. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that affected him. I mean, he's been playing awesome ball for a long time, so it's hard to mention him. Alex Roldan on, got absolutely smoked at right back. So that was a big problem for us. Do you think um, if
0: Laredon plays that the result could have been different?
2: You know, I like to convince myself uh, that that's the case, (laughs) but I mean, it's just Alex Roldan had had some good games and he's definitely shown progress over the last couple of years to give him credit, but you know, it's a lot to ask him to go in a championship final to go and, you know, play in that huge matchup where you have Leardong, who's a player that's been there before and obviously just has more quality in his experience. And so... You know, you hate to question Brian Schmetzer because what, four finals in the last five years, two wins in those in that period. But it's one that I hated going into the game and hated watching on the screen.
0: Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Yeah, it was definitely a disappointing night and would have. It's one of those things that it's almost a little bit easier to swallow when it's that one sided, though, because obviously the better team won. Mm hmm. At least on that day, um, I don't know if I would say that Columbus is massively more talented than Sounders are, and um, I think it's it's like you said, being the road team is an immediate disadvantage. I think we also had one less day of rest, um, so you can you can compound that on top. But I don't think either of those are really great excuses for how flat we looked. Um, I think I think Schmetzer was pretty well criticized for for the lineup that he that he put out there like you mentioned and not exercising some of those uh, substitutes and fresher legs probably um, at the beginning of that game. But um, I mean, looking back at the stats, I I was surprised to see the stats. So, I mean, even, and in some, in some instances, the stats actually favored the Sounders. I mean, with with shots, you have thirteen to fifteen favoring Columbus. Uh shots on target, five to two to Columbus. Uh, but the Sounders did hold sixty five percent of the possession. I feel like they did nothing with that.
2: Oh yeah. Um, I mean a ton of that in the second half when we were chasing the game. I mean right. when you have a two nil lead going at halftime, I mean, as Columbus, rightly, you're not gonna do anything dangerous as an attacking and leave yourself right. exposed. So In soccer terms, they parked the bus a little bit, which, I mean, you can't blame them for. I mean, up 2 nil, you start to play more defensive and more cautiously, especially with some of their more dangerous players out like Nagby and Santos. So, yeah, I mean, that's when we had dominated the ball, dominated passing, et cetera. But like, like you mentioned with the shot stats, we just couldn't put it on frame and generate a dangerous chance. And at the end of the day, you have bad days. And unfortunately, a lot of those came from, I mean, our best players right
0: well it was definitely a bummer but at the same time you pull it back and the sounders appeared in another mls cup final so how would you rank this year in 2020 obviously it was a it was a weird year for a lot of teams and i think um obviously not having fans in the stands was was kind of like a a really weird thing for especially the sounders who have such a strong and loyal following and t- tend to have really strong home attendance um for their for their games at now lumen field but was CenturyLink Link for majority of the season and yeah i mean wh- what are your what are your main takeaways i guess from this year and how do you how do you rank this year like i guess in in uh uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? In relation to other past years, like in recent memory, under Schmetzer.
2: Sure. Yeah, I mean it was a weird year, Connor. I mean we had the beginning of the season back in March. Then there were no games played because of obviously the COVID outbreak. Disney tournament pops up, mm-hmm. officially called MLS is back in July. <laughs> I like Disney uh, tournament. Obvious, you know could have been better there obviously i mean they ran into lafc in the round of 16 got destroyed but you know just a one-off tournament anything can happen came back into the mls regular season did really well uh to propel us to second you'd have to say it's a good year i mean all things considered all the teams are going through things Uh, you know we had international breaks Uh, players missing Rui Diaz, Arriaga, Leardom, Svensson for parts of the year but we had good enough depth to step forward so if we were to rate this year and compared to others not as good as our MLS Cup winning years but you know a really good year in general I mean obviously just crazy times that we're in right now but Probably, our th- considering everything, maybe our third best season.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, how does it relate to some of the other, other years that we've gotten into MLS Cup but lost?
2: Right. I mean, we're Toronto. better than the team, probably, that, that we beat Toronto, honestly. Yeah. That was not a great team, but, you know, one yeah. nil. Yeah. <laughs> one, yes. one, that was nil. a fluky game. Yeah. Yeah uh the great save by fry and so we're, this team was probably had more quality than that team but obviously mm-hmm. the result in that one was way better uh cool. probably better than the team that lost in toronto last year's team i would say is better than this one though but um crazy year um the supporters shield team was pretty good as well when we won uh yeah that Nova was that was before
0: schmetzer right that was like that was uh that was before that was uh, 2015 2014 14 I like that. yeah, but, yeah. That was with both uh, Dempsey and Oba, I think. Yeah, yeah, yes. Oba, what a player! They were fun to watch for sure. So, I guess let's let's kind of transition then. So, um, you mentioned some players that their contracts are expiring, or I guess have expired at this point, and mm-hmm. and a lot of the contracts have been declined by the Sounders. So. What's your, what's your viewpoint on the state of this roster at this point? And obviously, I mean, during this time of year, we're usually looking forward to the January transfer window. And if you see the Sounders making any acquisitions or moves during that January transfer window, it's, it's obviously. Transfer windows have been quieter with COVID just because it's really hard to scout players. Um, But do you foresee something happening during that January transfer window? And I think the, I think the Sounders are like 19 players or something like that right now that are actually under contract. Um, But who are some of those like key guys that are either leaving the club moving on or maybe coming back, but we haven't officially re-signed them
2: yet. Sure. Yeah. I'll touch on the ones that were on the team that either are unsigned or don't have a contract. So Gustav Svensson is a free agent now. His contract expired. It doesn't look like we are going to resign him uh, just with money and what he wants to do and et cetera. So that looks like it's going to be a likely departure. Uh, Jovan Jones, who came back, I don't think we are going to resign him. Um, Still possible, obviously. We could resign him after his contract expired. Um, I don't think he's going to be a starter next season. I think he's likely gone um Jao Paolo was a loney. he's out of contract right now he looks like he's going to come back we'll see I think we could really use him back there in the defensive mid he's uh, for the games that he was healthy he was really solid back there so I think that would be a welcome addition back uh Kelvin Leardom is also out of contract that's a big one right back is probably the biggest hole that we have to fill on the roster and so I hope we resign him that's up in the air right now I wouldn't I don't have a good read on that one. And there hasn't been a lot of talk on that one. So those are the four major players. There are some other players, but those are the main ones that we'd let go, I would say. Um, So who we currently have, I mean, if we go by position group forward, we have Rui Diaz and Bruin still on the roster. Mm -hmm. Um, We also have a youngster, Ocampo Chavez. He's young, unproven. He's played a couple games for us. So I think we might say, try to sign one striker, but clearly with Rui Diaz and Bruin, it's not our biggest priority in the January transfer window. Uh, yep. going to attacking midfield. I mean, we still have Ladero. He just signed a new contract. I know we had speculated before that, you know, he wants to end his career in Argentina. Uh, so him signing a new contract and staying for at least the next couple of years is awesome for us. I mean, that's huge quality in the squad. and I mean, as we saw during the playoff run minus the final, Uh, he's a big reason that this club ticks, so that was probably
0: unexpected for you, at least based on your comments earlier this year. So, yeah, I mean,
2: especially the length, that was awesome to see that he's still happy here and wants to spend, I mean, three year contract, but at least two years here. So, that's right, great to see. And he's probably here, the contract's through 2023, but he's probably here at least through through 2022. Yeah. Yeah, so great for the team, obviously. Um, Jordan Morris is still on the team, so. I mean, he was great this season. So, but we are likely going to need another attacking mid. So, I don't know if we're going to try to get Christian Roldan there. I know, um, might need to get like Diego F- Fagundes, He's played in New England quite a bit. I know he's that'd be a good agent. Ad-ing. Yeah. Um, so, I don't see us like going out and getting a DP, but maybe a smaller player, a team that's been on another MLS club signing them just right. to a contract, because I think we do need a little depth there, especially with Joven leaving uh, and looking like he's unlikely to sign. Uh, in defensive midfield, I mean, Roldan is also there. We have Jordy DeLem, who's played a lot of games for us, and he's decent. I wouldn't say he's, like, all-star level. Uh, but if we get Jao Paulo back, which I think we will, that would be a big signing for us. So that would fill that area. And, and then, he, would be, he would probably come back as a DP, do you uh, think? I think think so i mean i don't think we have three so yeah i think he so. would just
0: be we, that third like you like but obviously
2: they can move money they can around move if, the they salary were gonna, if they need to yeah. yeah but might as well make it the third right um so likely uh fullback i mean the big one is right back left back looks pretty good with brad smith and new who but um right back alex Roldan's the only one on the roster and we yep. just we saw mls cup final and that didn't go very well so it'd be <laughs> nice to have some sort of veteran depth there uh whether it's Leerdam or someone else so um uh, i mean crazy one could we get yedlin back on in january he's not playing at newcastle united that would huh? be pretty fun uh, i'd
1: be a huge fan yeti uh,
2: uh, that would be a that would be really cool. Another one that we're rumored with is Kellen Rowe from Federal Way. He's played for New England and some other teams. Um, he has some experience at right back, so I could see it's probably more realistic. But I mean, I would love Kellen back, and he's not playing, so mm-hmm. might as well. Um, what do you think is the most likely? think uh, we three. sign and we sign an MLS like regular like last season or Leardom comes back or something or Leardom comes back correct yeah. um probably in that order and then yeah. Yedlin although Yedlin's the most fun signing yeah uh, sure. and then center back I don't know I mean Guillemar has been pretty good in my opinion I thought he's he was, been really good I, I thought he was solid and yeah, I like Ariaga I mean had some major bonehead plays throughout mm-hmm. his career but he's also been solid in some areas so
0: he was I mean, he was arguably the best player, at least the best defender on the field against LAFC last year in the playoffs in the Western Conference final.
1: yeah he,
0: he played really well in that game. So I, I don't think he had a great 2020. So he didn't he wasn't in form, I feel like, really hardly at all this year. He also didn't play a lot this year, like he had injuries or, mm-hmm. you know, transfer or sorry, uh um, international duty or whatever. So I, I think feel like he never really got in rhythm with the team this year, which was hard to <laughs> in right. his, his position. So I don't know if that's, I don't know if you can entirely fault him for that, but um, obviously yeah. a ta- obviously a talented player and one that I would hope definitely would turn around in 2021 though. I think we are probably going to lean on him in that center back role is my guess.
2: Yeah, same. And then we still have Shane O'Neill under contract too to play, right. come in as a third center back or rotation. So, I I mean, all things considered, I mean, it'd be nice to bring in another veteran uh, just for backup, but we look decent in that position where it's not a priority like right back, I would say. is. And then goalie, we still have Stefan Fry, but I'd say another backup would be great. But, I mean, Stefan Fry is our goalie, so not really a concern there. So, to sum it all up, I would love another attacking mid, especially like to go and play on the right, um as a starter and then right back. And then if we get Zhao Paolo back, that would cover that CDM spot.
0: Yeah. I kind of hate it whenever they try to move Roldan out to right. Yeah. Thing. Like it just does it. He doesn't have the speed for that, I feel like. And he's just not as explosive of a player in that role. I feel like he, his best, I mean, obviously his best games have been at kind of defensive midfield, in, in that role and he I mean when Ozzy left I always thought he was going to be kind of the guy to take over that type of role but I mean it, maybe if we get Jao Paulo back um, and I don't know I there was that weird stretch with Rolldown. I can't remember if it was last year or the year before where like we were like super injured in our attacking midfield and stuff and he took over in a role I don't, I don't mm-hmm. remember exactly we had a I think we had a different formation at some point and he was playing like kind of like an attacking midfield midfield role and he scored a bunch of goals in a row in like games in a row so he definitely has that in him but it's it's i wouldn't say it's necessarily his strength and where where his game kind of lines up with this team i don't know if you agree with that but i agree
2: i mean he's done it in a limited stretch but i mean you compare him to ladero or other number 10s he doesn't quite have the vision or the silkiness he's right. uh more brute force brute yeah. force um Small 5'7, but mighty. Mm-hmm. Um, and more of that box to box midfielder, meaning he like really commands both areas, runs back and forth, and is a workhorse for the team. So if you have Zhao Paulo back there, who plays more of the defensive minded, you can have Christian Roldan just running around and contributing and pressing, et cetera, which I think is his strength. Yeah. Um, so
0: yeah, I, I like he covers him. a lot of ground, to be mm-hmm. fair, and he doesn't tend to get tired. So, right, right, That's which a good thing. makes a
2: great box to box midfielder. So, for
0: sure. Sam, what do you think of Christian Roldan?
1: Well, he didn't come through with that bicycle kick like I had hoped, but <laughs> being a husky, I'm I'm fairly biased as many of our listeners probably know at this point. So, I would like to I think he ha- he has a little bit of offensive firepower to him. I'd like to see him play a little bit more aggressively on the offensive attack for sure, but I'm happy that he's a sounder and I think he's an important part to the team for sure. He is.
0: I don't think anyone's arguing that. So, so I guess the big elephant in the room, aside from the roster, which thank you for that breakdown, Justin, that was an, that was a very intricate and well done breakdown as far as just kind of where things left off in 2020 and looking ahead to 2021. Obviously I think, I think it will be kind of a quieter January transfer window than we're kind of used to but i think if they are going to make acquisitions like you said justin it's going to be within the league it's going to be within mls because the scouts are very familiar with those players it's really easy to watch those players because they're in your league right um i don't think there's going to be a lot of international transfers uh per se for for the sounders this year um or at least in this window but the big elephant in the room, and we've talked about it before, is Brian Schmetzer's qu- contract is also expiring, slash has, has expired.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: it sounds like there is progress being made. It sounds like there is a conversation going on with Garth Lagerway and and Brian Schmetzer and his, his representatives. Um, what is your... What, what is your guess? I mean, I, I think – I feel like it's probably likely. It w- I feel like it would at least be dumb if they didn't re-sign him. But, um, I mean, is there any reason to believe that, that the Sounders aren't going to re-sign Brian Schmetzer?
2: I would be shocked if we don't re-sign him. I think that would be really dumb to your point. Mm-hmm. it sounds like with conversations that Lagerway and Schmetzer both said I believe on KJR and in interviews that there will be a contract there and it sounds like their agent and Lagerway are just going back and forth I think Schmetzer wants a little higher salary but guarantees for his assistance as well and he's fighting for them and so it lo- all indications are going looking like it's going to be a go which is good I mean in social media he's commented on how happy he is with ladero staying and other things and you know it's not something that you have to do in a contract negotiation so i would say i'm like pretty optimistic 80 to 90 percent it happens yeah um, i think it would be a failure on the sounders parts to not resign him because if you look at like opportunity cost and replacement like who are we getting that's been a better fit for this team specifically right and just going, especially after. cause it's going to be a lot of the same team again next year. Right. Too, right. I mean, so he, he has an established player, relationship. And, he knows the yeah. players, the assistants know the players, they know the strengths, weaknesses. So a whole another regime to come in. I mean, while that could turn out, it's likely won't be better next year while we have limited time in players prime, like Rui Diaz and Ladero and Morris and et cetera. So yeah, I, I would bet on him staying for sure.
0: I sure hope so. I know you mentioned him fighting for his assistants. Gonzalo Pineda has been a hot name out there and do you think he sticks around and do you think that's part of this is that Schmetzer wants to make sure that Pineda is paid well enough that he's going
2: to stick around with the Sounders? Yeah I would hope so I mean he's been a great assistant coach for the Sounders has a good rapport with some of the players especially the Spanish speaking ones Mm -hmm. and so I think it's a great assistant to have and with his name being rumored, I, I'm sure, you know, Schmetzer not being a head coach for Pineda, but being a former assistant coach to Pineda, I know that they have a good relationship. And so I, I would bet he's fighting for him for sure.
0: Right. Yeah. I think it was like DC United or something like that, that was in possible mm-hmm. like interview talks, like, or at least like pre-interview talks or something like that
2: with Gun- Gonzalo Pineda. So uh, he' will see what live happens there. Come on. Yeah. Right. And <laughs> it lives in Washington. Their football team doesn't even have a name. Come on.
0: Well, that's a great, great transition here. Unless you had any other sounders talk to, to sum sum it up. But I think, I think we've kind of hit on most everything, at least that's relevant at this stage. If there's any, any kind of signings or if Schmetzer's deal comes through or something like that, maybe we'll have some more to say in a future podcast, but at this moment, there's not much more to say. I think Justin did an excellent job of, breaking down where the Sounders are at right now at the end of 2020 and looking ahead to 2021. Hopefully it's a, it's a full season. That would be the number one goal, obviously. And then number two that maybe there's some fans in the stands by the end of the year. That'd be pretty cool as well. But honoring your transition here, Justin, you mentioned the Washington football team and the Seahawks escaped really with a 20 to 15 victory, a score that I'm sure Pete Carroll loves because it's kind of like an odd score. It's not necessarily a what, what do they call that? Like score uh score Gami or something like that. If it's, if it's like a unique score, I don't think it's that, but it's, it's definitely a a score that you don't see that often 20 to 15, but the Seahawks do, do, do prevail on Sunday. And, Sam, I'll throw it to you first, since obviously with Sounders stuff, you you didn't get to participate too much. What were your general takeaways from that game, and do you feel more confident or less confident, kind of for a playoff run with this team after that after that game against Washington on Sunday?
1: I don't know that I feel more or less confident after the game. So you're same. Pretty much the same. I don't think that it was in – it it wasn't a bad win in my mind, and it wasn't a solid win that's going to really like build momentum in the hype train rolling into the playoffs. But the one thing that I've been clamoring for is a more balanced attack on offense, and we did that. I know we only scored 20 points, but with – The Washington football team defense that we previewed, we expected this to be a lower scoring game as it were. And love to see 27 pass attempts, 26 rushing attempts was a nice balance. Probably, I know Justin's already rolling his eyes. Probably would have liked to have seen the ball in Russell Wilson's hands a little bit more than that. I've been saying it from the beginning. I want to see a more balanced attack, but I've never been clamoring for a 50-50 split like we saw. Although it was great to see us effectively run the ball. I think that is the one. I'll say there's like one and a half things that make me feel a little bit better coming into the playoffs is we're starting to establish the running attack a bit more, which is something you need in playoff football. And then I think our defense is starting to hit its stride. The reason why I didn't give it a full point is the way that they kind of collapsed there at the end was not a good look but i thought that they played 3 quarters of damn good defense and felt like this should have been a 20 to 3 20 to 10 win and just kind of or i guess 20 to 9 i don't they missed their field goal so whatever the score would have been but My, those are my main takeaways. I think Russell Wilson looked a bit more comfortable. I think one of the things that you talked about previewing this matchup, Connor was some of the quick hitting passing game. I felt like we made some strides there hitting DK on a couple of slants, getting the ball to our playmakers quicker and not, you know, riding and dying by these long drop back bombs where we've seen Russell Wilson take a lot of sacks. He wasn't sacked in this game. So I think that's a plus. And then really, I think the score doesn't really tell the story here. We had one of our best drives of the game and Russell Wilson ends up with a, I think what it was a tipped interception or something. And so we probably took seven points off the board there and, you know, Washington is a good team. I know they were without their starting quarterback, so I would have liked to have seen a bit more of a resounding win, which I felt like we were trending towards the majority of the game. But I generally walk away from that game feeling pretty good about it outside of the closing, what, 5, 8, 10-minute stretch. So. It's hard to say. I don't know. I I don't really want to commit to saying like, I feel a lot better about the team going into the playoffs, but there certainly were some underlying themes that unfolded in the game that I think are for sure positive takeaways. What did you think, Justin? Did you want us to pass the ball a bunch more?
2: I knew I'd get that question. Look, I mean... Uh, we were running the ball, to your credit. I mean, we were running the ball really well in this game. I mean, averaging, what, seven yards a carry or something like that. And so that clearly was working for us. Um, and so it's hard to say we shouldn't have run the ball. I, I think some of the passing game and the calls are a little concerning. I agree that we did get the, pat, the ball out of Russell Wilson's hand really quickly. Obviously, no sacks It's a really good thing. 121 yards It's not a great thing if we're going to start to play better teams. And I think that we averaged about a little over four air yards per pass, meaning the ball traveled on average four yards until a receiver caught it and so that's a big issue for me and especially specifically like DK Metcalf and getting him going. I know uh, we were a little concerned where he fell awkwardly in this game and thankfully he was able to come back uh, which is a big win in my eye getting off this field without too many big injuries. Oh shit, yeah, that can't be understated um. But, you know, when when teams have gone cover two on us and played two back there, we have not seen the same explosive offense that we saw in the first eight games this season with DK Metcalf going deep and Tyler Lockett. We've been really contained. So I'm hoping the coaching staff and Brian Schottenheimer are scheming up some ways to beat this coverage because the Rams did it on us. The Eagles have done that on us. Uh, who did we play last week? Or the Giants have done that on us. And then the Washington has done that on us. So obviously running game, huge plus, it's good to shorten the game against good teams like the Packers. If we have to play them, Um, it's going to be important to run the ball at Lambeau against them, but not being able to pass more efficiently is a concern for me, but a win is a win, especially on the road. So, I mean, I feel a little more positive than negative, but definitely have some concerns. What about you, Connor? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I kind of want to know your thoughts, Justin, because Pete Carroll in his press conference after the game called this a sweet win.
2: Oh, God, yeah. So you want me to respond you, to that statement? Do you think or? this was a sweet win, Justin? Uh, it could have I mean, been. been better. I mean, I largely agree with Sam's point. I mean, I know that we like to... Uh, go toe-to-toe on some issues. But, I mean, I agree. I mean, it like, a 20-to-10... Stop agreeing. Stop agreeing. I'm here to... Would have been nice, but, I'm I'm I mean... I'm to get you guys to fight. But I, I hate Pete Carroll's bullshit narrative that we need to pass and rush the same amount, and that's, like, a good... That's the success for football. Like, that's just so old-school and terrible thinking. Like, if you look at all the EPA stats and CPOE and etc. like, that is just a terrible way to win football games fourth and one punts like I know I texted both of you saying like oh yeah maybe this is a fourth and one that we should punt on the you know we're on the 50 because Dwayne Haskins is Washington's quarterback and for two and a half quarters he was absolutely awful I didn't agree with punting that ball actually uh, but like the stats always say to go for that and maybe you just got to trust it every time because you have to put teams away in the NFL and so with the I mean, I'm afraid this old school narrative and not going for it when we should, which we're one of the teams that have given up the most win percentage points by not going for it. So I'm afraid that's going to come to haunt us and play playoff football when we play teams that are more balanced than us and we should be going for it early. And then we still punt and have to do a late Russell Wilson QB, which has been our MO for years or late Russell Wilson comeback, which has been our MO. So. I hate those narratives and his statement that is a sweet win and nice and close is good. And, you know, defensive football. So I don't know. You mean like blowing teams out can be a good thing. Blowing teams out can be nice. yeah. Yeah.
0: That's fair. I get it. I will say that Pete mentioned something on his, on his press conference today, which I think you would appreciate Justin, being a, being a data guy is that he, he did say that, um, he's kind of he has evolved a little bit because his 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 description or his um, how he describes balance now when what he said today in his press conference was balance is being able to beat teams in different ways
2: offensively that's better than the other way so i'll take that answer for now right yeah so and if you look at it that way
0: I think that's exactly what they did in this game. Like, I, it's true. I, I tend to be a little bit encouraged by this game. I know that the final score sucked and, um, definitely should have been more, a more resounding win. But we were in control of this game. Like, for, and especially the first two and a half quarters, I thought was one of our most complete football games through two and a half quarters. And I think, uh, sure, the offense, could have, you know, had another touchdown or something like that in the first half. But you're up, what, 13-3 to at halftime? You're scoring 13 points on a top-five defense in the first half. That's not bad. And you come out of halftime and first drive of the game, end up with a touchdown, you're up 20-3. to You're well on your way to a resounding victory. And as far as things that changed, I think, I mean, I think you go up, three scores like that up by 17 points and you do tend to play softer in coverage on defense. So I think there was obviously some of that. I also think that you have to give some credit to Dwayne Haskins. I think he started to play a lot better in the second half, especially on his two touchdown drives. And so they obviously respond with the touchdown and they have a, what, a 90 something yard drive on us. Um, so, I mean, it, it's, it's obviously not ideal but you come back after that. And like Sam was saying, you're having, you probably have your best drive of the game going. And then just a fluky play happens. And that's really, uh, that's like, that's the play that made this game close was that turnover and that Russell Wilson interception um, off of a deflection tip pass, a defensive lineman picks it off. So that's, I mean, that's just the way that the ball rolls sometimes. So I, th- I think this final score is a little bit more fluky than anything as far as like, I don't, I don't necessarily define this as like the Seahawks not closing this game out in defining fashion. Let's give a little credit though, to the defense stepping up on the last drive and (laughs) it was weird. I don't know if you guys watch or listen to the Hawk blogger podcast, but um, Brian Demhazer, at Hawk blogger on twitter and like evan hill nathan hurt Ernst, and some of those guys some very prominent people in seahawks twitter they do a podcast about twice a week during the season once after games and then once in the middle of the in the middle of the week and they were talking about how the pass rush got you know four sacks and they look great again pass rush was ass like that was that was honestly like the the biggest thing on defense that I thought we struggled with throughout the game. And I think that's what, why Dwayne Haskins got so comfortable in the second half. We had the one sack by Jamal Adams in the, in the first half that was kind of off of a broken play. And then the final three sacks all came on that final drive. So what I'm saying is give the defense credit for stepping up when it needed, like it needed to, and making a making clutch plays that sack by Carlos Dunlap was unreal. Like that was a monstrous play against an injured offensive lineman, I think, but at the same time, I mean, he's obviously like, that's still a 300 plus pound dude that he's bowling over and then getting to the quarterback. So that you can't understate how impressive that is. Um, but I mean, for, you know, 50 minutes at, in that game, the pass rush was pretty much non-existent. And I think, I think that's the biggest thing that, like I I look at as a as a negative takeaway from this from this game is that the pass rush completely disappeared for a while, and they were still blitzing and stuff too. So, I, so something weird was going on. I don't know if it's just a, a scheming thing by Ken Norton, if it's Washington, you know, if it's if it's us looking predictable and Washington picking up the blitzes that we're putting on them. Um, I don't know what you guys. What were your guys' thoughts on the pass rush?
1: Yeah, I didn't totally pick up on that as much as you did. I do think one of the things that for sure played into probably the bad taste in your mouth around the pass rush was I mean, until the final drive, we really got no pressure on them at all in the second half. But if you look at the plays, split out between the two teams in the second half of this game. The Seahawks ran outside of our three kneels. You take those out. We ran 19 offensive plays the whole second half. Yeah. So my point in bringing that up is our offense was not doing our defense any favors in the second half of this game. Our defense was on the field a lot. I mean, when Washington went on that 14 play 96 yard drive, we go six plays, throw a pick. They come back for another 11 play, 60 plus yard drive. Then we freaking go three and out. And then on their final drive, they put another 14 plays into our defense. Like that's part of the reason why I am bullish on running the ball and, or doing whatever, doing whatever you can to convert first downs, to give your defense a break. And so I know a little bit of a tangent not directly answering your question Connor but I do think the fact that our defense was on the field the majority of the second half of the game that is going to exhaust your defense and I think that we saw some of that there are multiple plays where you know our stud middle linebacker Bobby Wagner looked gassed and slow throughout the game particularly in the second half and I just think it a couple of those drives and with our offense being on the field for such a small amount of time in the second half really took a lot out of our defense in terms of their aggressiveness their ability to create explosive plays and where you're going to see that manifest more so than anywhere else is in the pass rush and outside of those final few plays on on the turnover on downs that we we got on Washington down there at the end, we didn't really get any pass rush. And like you said, one of those sacks came against an offensive lineman that was left the game injured and came back clearly wasn't a hundred percent and just got ran over. Mm-hmm. So I do think it's a concern, but I don't know that I put the fault completely on, you know, defensive players or defensive schematics and, I just think that's a really hard task for a defense to be out there that long against any team.
0: So you you amounted to fatigue then basically. I
1: think that fatigue for sure played an element into the lack of pass rush that we saw, particularly down the stretch of the second half. Okay.
0: Justin, did you have any thoughts on the pass rush?
1: I mean,
2: yeah, it could have been better. It was clutch at the end, so that was nice to see. Yeah, I mean, Carlos for sure. Dunlap uh, getting It's nice to see here. LJ
0: Collier make some sacks, man. I he For as much shit as we gave LJ Collier in his rookie year, it's nice to see, like, I mean, just, like, spot few plays. He's definitely not, a, like, I don't think he's ever going to amount to, like, a first-round pick. Like, we obviously drafted him in the first round. But... um but, you know, I mean, if he can become a role player on this team, and you've seen flashes of his excellence, so that, that, it was good to see him get a clutch sack on that, on that last drive. But continue, Justin. Sorry.
2: Yeah, but I'd largely agree with Sam that our offense didn't give us a break, give our defense a break in the second half. I mean, you look at the the play selection. So after the touchdown drive to open the second half, which was great. Uh, we, our next possession after an interception was a nice run, run, pass, punt from the 50 yard line. So that was nice. <laughs> our next drive, um, we had, a, we had a run for nothing cause Washington was stacking the box and then penalty on Will Disley third and 15. So that's not good. The next drive we had after that, uh, we were driving down the field, really nice drive with mix of r- runs and passes until that tipped, fluky interception happened. And then the drive after that, similarly, terrible play on first down where we run right into the stacked box. Chris Carson loses four yards and then third and long. And so that was it. That was all our, like, to Sam's points, 19 plays. And so we run, run pass, we have the fluky interception didn't give our defense much rest at all. And so when you saw that gas and you saw Bobby Wagner on Logan Thomas a lot and Logan Thomas just getting gain after gain after gain. And so we were really tired. And so that I think that played a huge impact or a huge role in why this game was way too close.
0: Yeah. And switching it back over to the offense, I guess I'll finish my point from earlier talking about like the first two and a half quarters, I thought we were, it was probably like one of our most complete games of the year. Defense is playing well and um, holding him to obviously only three points up until basically, I guess the very beginning of the, the fourth quarter, but offense even, I mean, I, I think, I think they came into this game with, with a concerted effort to minimize the damage done by Washington's defensive line, which is obviously the strength of, of the of their defense. And they did that by, making a fully concerted effort to run the ball a lot, at least to start with. And then also that quick passing game that Sam and I talked about in our previous episode. And I think I'm a little bit encouraged by that just because they're doing the things to adapt to defenses. And obviously like, this is a little bit more of an old school brand of football that like people call this, you know, Pete Carroll ball and all the data analytics and, analytics nerds like start rolling their eyes at that because you know passing typically is a little bit more effective than running at least like on a on a data perspective and um i i get the argument for that but i also believe in beating teams in different ways and i think that's really valuable going into the playoffs and showing that you can run the ball as effectively as we did in this game is good and we're 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 getting healthy at running back rashad penny just came back and you know got a few snaps in this game i think he's a little heavy but that's another conversation and then obviously uh, both chris carson and carlos are as healthy as they've been all year and that's a that's a formidable stable in that backfield and i think that's that's a weapon like you need to be able to utilize that against teams that either struggle against the run or if, or have an effective pass rush and be able to, you know, throw that at them to, to throw off that pass rush and to keep them honest on defense. Um, and it was good to see a little bit of quick passing game. I, like you said, Justin, I mean, the 121 yards of passing for Russ, and I think it was like in like the 80s or 90s, like end of the third quarter. So it wasn't, mm-hmm. I think, I think even in the fourth quarter, it was like in the eighties or nineties. It, it, the one thing in the passing game, I felt like they, they weren't going to force it until they needed to. And. Um, you, you can definitely criticize that. I get it. Like there's risk reward there. I don't think you needed to risk it against this team in Washington. Like I think they had control of this game the one thing i would have liked to see though on offense and especially in the passing game is them to get dk involved earlier like i don't think he had a target until like middle of the second quarter and i mean that that drive that we're talking about in the fourth quarter i think when that tipped interception happened was the dk drive like they were hitting him on slants like two or three times i think in that in that drive and uh, you can't defend a DK Metcalf slant like that, that does need to be a part of the offense. And that's a quick pass. Like that's, that's a pass that's five to 10 yards downfield and goes for 10 to 15 because DK can make some people miss after the catch like that, that needs to be more of a part of this offense earlier in the game. And I don't think that's necessarily a super risky play. So that's kind of my feelings, I guess about, about the passing game in general and just the offense in general I guess are there any other final thoughts from this game I the, I guess the I the other guy that I do want to bring up before we transition to Rams week we might have ourselves a starting corner for like a like next to nothing as far as salary DJ Reed is a baller and he was tested a lot in this game. And again, Dwayne Haskins on the other side, I, I don't think he's necessarily a bad quarterback, but he's definitely not a proven quarterback and not as good as Alex Smith. I, I think if Alex Smith plays this game, there's a very good chance that we might lose this game and might give it up at the end. So I think we were lucky in that aspect. But um, nonetheless, I mean, uh, DJ Reed, I, th- I thought, played really, really well in this game. This was kind of his, like, really breakout performance. Obviously, he had the interception, but had numerous pl- past, uh, passes defensed as well. I think he probably had, like, four or five passes defensed in this, in this game. I don't have the stats right in front of me. Um, but, yeah, what are you guys' thoughts on DJ Reed? And, like, obviously, we have both Trey Flowers and Quentin Dunbar coming back from injury kind of at any point here pete carroll has said dj reed kind of has the the hold on this spot and it's his spot to lose at this point do you guys agree with that do you guys think
2: that there's higher upside with other players or do you like what you've seen from dj reed i mean i've liked what i've seen just really quickly like he's been fantastic for what expectations are versus what he's produced right i mean A lot of passes defensed. He's right there with defenders. I mean, I think Terry McLaurin beat him a couple times this game, but Terry McLaurin's also a really good receiver. And so I thought he played pretty well, all things considered. And, you know, I had my second half breakout players, Trey Flowers, but I I chose the wrong cornerback, clearly. That didn't work out too well. Uh, But, I mean, definitely DJ Reed deserves it over Trey Flowers. Then Quentin Dunbar, I mean, we haven't seen him healthy in a while. So until we see that, I think you have to give it to DJ Reed. Yeah. And it being a
0: chronic knee issue that they're talking with Quentin Dunbar, I can't imagine it's going to be, even when he comes back, I don't know if it's really going to be fully better at this point that he's going to be able to really, you know, be explosive and break on the ball. Like we're, we're wanting to see. Go ahead, Sam.
1: Yeah. I'll echo the same sentiment on that. I think DJ Reed definitely in this game solidified himself as being that corner opposite of Griffin and really all I have to do is ask a simple question to both of you through this season. Have you witnessed a game from Trey flowers or Quentin Dunbar like the game that DJ Reed just put out this weekend? Like DJ Reed made multiple plays where it was obviously yeah. a good, play, like standout spotlighted play that he made defensively. And I can't remember a game where either Trey flowers or Quentin Dunbar had a handful of solidly good defensive plays.
0: Yeah. Not quite to that, that level of production, I think in one game at least, but, um, I mean, I know that I, Dunbar had a pretty nice pick in one of the earlier games in the year. It might've been yeah. a decent like... game in at Atlanta. Right. Um, i don't think it was atlanta that was the first game not the the a pick
2: but he had a decent game in that one i thought but he was not...
0: okay he was okay yeah i mean he was better than flowers obviously in that well, game. flowers Atrocious. flowers sucked the first you know uh, five games of the year i think it was it the dolphins I, been... I don't know that might be a good call it was either dolphins or it might i feel like it was at home against like minnesota or something like that but anyway it, yeah Dunbar had a pretty good game. Like I, I remember like one of his games being kind of strong, but DJ Reed, I think, definitely surpassed that in, in this in this particular performance.
1: Yeah. And I to Justin's point, I am a little bit hesitant to call a spade a spade with Quentin Dunbar just because we I feel like he's played a lot of the games, not at full strength. And so yeah. I mean, he has a proven track record of being a really good corner in the league. And so if he's healthy and he can get healthy, I wouldn't put it out of the world of possibility that he can come back and make an impact on the team. But outside of just the standout plays that DJ Reed has made in particularly in this game against Washington, but I just love the, the, the passion and the violence that he plays that corner position with. I mean, he, there was a couple plays in there. I, I texted you both like, Hey, he kind of looks like a number 29 that we're familiar with. And I'm not saying he's Earl Thomas. He's not, but I'm just saying that like he flies around like him and he's nowhere near as effective or as impactful as Earl Thomas was for us. But I love to see somebody that's playing a hundred percent hair on fire, screaming, yelling, juicing up the team. Yeah like, I really liked what I saw from him, not only from the plays that he made, but just with the demeanor that he carries while he's on the defensive field.
0: Yeah. We haven't seen that kind of fire from a cornerback since Sherm. So, I mean, like, as far as just like, you know, talking after every play that he makes and he was backing it up on Sunday at least, but I mean, it's, Shaquille has never been that type of player like I mean he does his little dances and stuff after he makes a play but he's not really a shit talker by any means um and then you know Trey Flowers is obviously at his ups and downs and Quinton Dunbar is kind of a silent assassin I would say in in the games that he's played well so DJ Reed is a fiery guy and not only is he playing well on defense but he's also our our punt returner and looks explosive there and sam mm-hmm. you made the comparison to earl thomas i think i think we're i i draw a direct comparison to earl thomas is how they run with the ball in their hands like they just look like they're they're like heading for the end zone every time like they're yeah. running full speed every every time they have the ball they're not trying to wait for a block or a lane or anything like that they're borderline reckless with the ball in their hand which is a little scary obviously, but uh, at the same time is it's, it's exciting and, and can a a big play can pop when you have, when you have a player like that in that role. So,
1: well, DJ, you got to catch the ball first. Don't forget that.
0: Yeah. That was a little scary. (laughs) That muff punt. I agree. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I I don't think we've had someone that electric, though, at punt returner since like Tyler Lockett, like in his early years with the team. So I'm I'm excited for that. And I mean, it's it's even more salt in the wound for the 49ers after they just got eliminated from the playoffs that someone that they cut in DJ Reed is, you know, flourishing in in a Seahawks uniform. So got to love that. Last last little element here, guys, and I'll I'll pull my Dick Baird hat here. The kicking game was excellent in this in this game against against Washington. And obviously Jason Myers has been stellar this year. He was two for two along uh, a 43. And Michael Dixon, I don't understand how he was not a pro bowler. I mean, he's been excellent all year and showed it again in this game. All four of his punts were inside the 20 couple of them inside the 10 and I think it was this first punt was like ridiculous like it was had some major side spin on it and like landed at like the eight yard line and I think went out of bounds at about the four yard line didn't even need his his gunners down there so that guy just it, he's an artist at that at that punting position which you can't say by a, about a lot of punters so
1: Yeah, that punt that punt that you're talking about is a fifty-five yard punt, which is a good boot on in its own right. But to have the side spin for it to just roll itself out of bounds at the four yard line, that's Mm -hmm. like as good of a punt as you'll ever see.
0: Yeah. And it's like it's one of those things that obviously I, I hate the Seahawks punting, but at the same time, it's like Michael Dixon makes it as exciting as it can be just because he's so good. And he's so crafty with his with his foot. So I'm I'm sorry, Michael, that you did not make the Pro Bowl, but you're definitely a Pro Bowler in our eyes. So keep keep doing what you're doing, and I'm sure the league will recognize it at some point. All right, guys, we got a big game on Sunday. With the events of Sunday, not only did the Seahawks win, and they are now ten and four. The Rams also lost Mm. and lost to the awful football team that we played last week in the jets. And Sam and I had a lot of slander about the jets last week. (laughs) They come out and, you know, this is a prime example of it, fellas, never take a win for granted because it's hard to win the NFL. And, I don't think this is necessarily an example of that. (laughs) They lost at home to the jets. I don't think there's really an explanation for that, but at the same time, I'm saying that on the day that we're not super satisfied with the Seahawks win, the Rams are in a much worse spot with them losing to the jets. Like their, their fans are like probably breathing right now. So I think, I think we need to take a step back and, you know, a win is a win, like we said. And I think they played better than the final score indicated. So, big matchup against the Rams this week, though. And if, if the Seahawks win, then we are division champs because of, because of the events that, that happened on Sunday. Um, and even if the Seahawks lose, there's an outside chance that they could still win the division. Um, if if the Rams lose to the Cardinals and the Seahawks beat the 49ers in week 17 but obviously our focus is on this Rams game and I want to win it the right way by beating the Rams this weekend how confident are you guys going into this game I know that we've obviously discussed some some struggles on offense and the defense generally turning the year around overall how are you guys feeling going going into this? This game against the Rams for the division.
2: I mean, I think it's hilarious that the Rams lost to the Jets. Let's not understate that. Not only oh, the Rams going, losing no, I... to the Jets at home. We can have a 20-minute
0: segment on the Rams losing to the Jets. But the Jets
2: also screwing up their opportunity to get Trevor Lawrence mm. by winning a game. All around, it's just fantastic. So hilarious so many storylines from there. Yeah, I mean the Rams looked bad. Um not necessarily defensively. I think offensively they were really poor. Um one thing that we've seen with Jared Goff consistently is that Jared when Doof. he when he's faced with pressure, he is not a good quarterback. But when he has time ta- when he has time, he picks apart that defense because you just have Sean McVay talking to him the whole time. So yep. With pressure, if we can get pressure, obviously that's the big key to the game, in my opinion. Um okay. ah, I just hate the Rams matchup against us. I still feel like we're gonna lose. So if you had to give me a confidence, I'd probably say we're 40 percent I'm 40% confident we're gonna win this game. Mm-hmm. Come on, Justin. Sam?
1: Sam, I'll, I'll flip it on the other side of the coin. I'm 60% confident that we'll win. Okay. I think. Justin, your, your main man, yapper, yapper, McGee. Jamal Adams is going to have a hell of a my day. My main putting, man. Putting pressure on Jared Goff. And I think for the reasons that you mentioned, you know, if we can dial up the pressure there, I think defensively, I feel like we've played pretty solid defense down this home stretch of the season. And if we can continue that, I do think at home, our offense is going to have more success than we've seen in the last couple of weeks. I like that we've kind of pieced a few things together on offense over the last couple of weeks, namely the running game. And, you know, I, I do think that we'll see a Russell Wilson performance that we've seen earlier in the year. I think he'll have a really good game. The offense will get things going and I think our defense will do Enough to get us this victory. And I do think that we'll win the division. So I'm pretty excited about that. But losing to the Jets is freaking demoralizing, man. Like, I don't, that can go one of two ways. Either that lights a fire under the Rams' ass and they come out, guns a blazing, and, t- you know, take it to us. Or they're sitting in the locker room after that game, pointing fingers, and it could be a turning point for their season. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Nobody really knows how that's gonna turn out until the game is played, but losing to the Jets is freaking bad. So I think that I think that's gonna have some negative impacts on the Rams. Honestly,
0: I hope so. I hope so. I've told you guys over the last t- couple of episodes that we've all been together and talking about the Seahawks after that Giants loss, I I thought we were going to win out. Like I, I just think this team tends to turn a corner after, you know, a certain part of the year. And usually it's coming off of kind of a bad loss, not necessarily as bad as that Giants loss. That's like, again, kind of historically one of the worst losses in, in Pete Carroll's tenure, but obviously take care of a, a team in the jets that just beat the Rams 40 to three last week. And then, Um, just coming off of a a win against, I think I, I, like Sam said, I think a good solid football team in Washington. I, I think they're one of the hotter teams in the league and I don't think their record necessarily indicates how, how good they are. They're definitely the favorite to win that division, the NFC East. Um, and I like, I, I like our chances. I don't know if I can really pinpoint as far as like why that is. In this game, I just have a gut feeling we're going to beat the Rams in in this game on Sunday. Um, I think, like you said, Justin, it, that that getting pressure on Goff is going to be key. And I think with our blitz packages, so long as he's not seeing things like super quickly and you know reading things well that'll throw them off and we could probably cause a couple turnovers in this game. If we get some short fields for our offense, I, I like, I like that scenario as well. And I also think that the offense uh, kind of opens up the playbook. One thing that we haven't talked about guys key to this offense right now, who holds the keys, keys to this offense right now.
2: Are you talking about the Rams or the Seahawks Seahawks? Who holds the keys to this offense? Mm-hmm. Well, it says Pete Carroll. Mm.
1: Who do you think it is, Connor? <laughs>
2: <laughs> My main man, Josh Gordon.
1: Oh, oh. he's going to be
0: back this week. He is. And David Moore has been completely underwhelming. You know, the past five, six weeks. I don't know if he's healthy. He doesn't look healthy out there. He doesn't look nearly as explosive as he usually is. At least as confident as he usually is. So. I think he's nursing something and he's fighting through something. So hopefully uh, he gets healthy at some point or turns his mindset around at some point, he looks broken out there, but Josh Gordon as a third receiver could completely unleash this passing attack. Um, I know that we use David Moore in different ways that Josh Gordon doesn't necessarily replicate, you know, all the end around sweep stuff and kind of quick screen stuff. That's not really Josh Gordon's game but I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. I mean, I think you have plenty of opportunities with the personnel of DK Medcalf, Tyler Lockett and Josh Gordon as your three wide receivers. And Pete Carroll said today, like he was asked if he thinks Josh Gordon's going to play a role in this game. He said, yeah, I hope so. Like, I mean, they're counting on him playing in this game and making an impact. And I think this is a perfect week to unleash him. And obviously it's not like it should be a general surprise or anything like that. Cause there were, he obviously played with us last last year and there's some game tape there, but I think there's some ways that you can utilize Josh Gordon in this game, open up the offense, stretch the field a little bit, open up that passing game. Like you've been saying, Justin, and take some of those shots over the top. And especially with the way that our, our run game is developing. That play action is going to be super effective at some point here right we're gonna start hitting on some of those deep balls to dk or josh gordon again as a as a deep ball uh weapon so i think the offense rolls in this game i i know this rams defense is the strength of their team like they're not only a top five unit but arguably the best unit in in football but jalen ramsey can only cover one of those guys and i like our matchup against the Rams secondary other than Jalen Ramsey with any of those receivers. So there's going to be someone open. I think Sam and I have also talked about getting the tight end tight ends a little bit more involved in the offense, um, especially like seam routes. Greg Olson might be back this week as well. So I think there's some guys coming back. We got some, you know, some, some health coming, coming our way, which isn't, typical of this time of year so i just think the the cards and and uh the the dice are rolling the seahawks way in in this game i think i think things are trending towards a seahawks win this sunday so that being said what are your guys's like final score i guess predictions for sunday Justin, we'll start with you since I guess you're kind of negative Nancy over here and thinking that the Hawks are going to lose. I
1: think Justin's having some technical difficulties, so I'll 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 go with my score prediction and maybe paint a little bit more of a positive image of the game this weekend. <laughs> I I think it's going to be a little bit of a higher scoring game than than what we've seen. Yep. I'll go. I agree. Seahawks. 30 Seahawks, 31 Rams
2: 21. Wow. That's like a,
1: be,
0: that's a statement victory.
1: It's going to be a statement victory and it's going to set us up for an interesting playoff picture that I think that we'll get into. But yep. We're going to get why into why that. Okay. I'll,
2: I'll go really quickly. I in negative Nancy. That's funny. Uh, great. Good one, Connor. Uh, what I, well you are dude like i mean 40 percent chance they're gonna win <laughs> i mean just look at the rams seahawks history it's not a good picture for i agree us. i agree um, yeah history sean is not McV- on our side sean McVay knows how to attack us pete carroll doesn't scheme or change his style to opponents and so it makes dinking and dunking really easy on us and so i think the rams are gonna come in they're gonna be Fired up from the Jets' loss, how do you not? Because the Jets are so awful, and so they're going to come in here. They're going to pull off a narrow victory over the Hawks, thirty-one to twenty-six.
0: I'll ask a follow-up question, Justin. Sure. Do you think the Seahawks still win the division?
2: That's a tough question because it's the Cardinals is not a gimme game for the Rams no. after. Not at uh, all. Especially coming out of a
0: likely pretty physical game this weekend. Right. They could be be beat up. I I
2: think it's a true toss-up after that. Yeah. I mean, I hope so. (laughs) But, I mean, if we don't, we're likely going to, what, Washington? Well, that's we're going to talk about that in a second. Okay. So, Sam,
0: I okay your sentiments. I don't know. We got to think about having this Justin guy back on here again because he's just, you know. Seahawks are going to get beat, you
2: know, uh, we're not that good. Uh, whoa, 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 whoa. I've never said we're 40% not...
1: this, 40% 40... <laughs> that. <laughs> okay, let's look back at uh,
2: our picks and who's been mostly right.
1: Well, he kind of has a point.
0: <laughs> well, hold on. So, like, are we talking week-to-week picks as far as,
2: like, wins? Uh, a sentiment against the Rams that I was, like, thinking about. But I think week-to-week we're largely similar. Yeah. Um,
0: no, I, I completely agree that history is against us, but history has to, you know, change at some point, right? Like,
2: I mean, as if it's the same coaches, it's similar teams, it's similar schemes. I don't know. I think the, the Rams victories that we have had in the past, we had a fluky win last season on Thursday night football um, where the Rams should have beat us to be quite honest uh we we got killed down there last season like 28 to 12 in december i'd say they beat us pretty resounding earlier this year um they've come up here and beat us 42 to 7 before obviously that was a different team so that was 2017 man. right it that was that's three years ago mm-hmm. but uh, it,
0: it's it's a different team player player personnel wise at this point but i agree i get it um i i think them being without cam acres is a big deal they're starting running back Cam Akers. The impressive rookie is out, and I, I understand they have capable running backs behind him, but he's been a huge part of their offense and their successes recently. So, I, he obviously went out in that Jets game, and like I think he, I think he p- kind of played through a sprained. It's like a sprained ankle or something like that that he has. But he wasn't that effective, and that obviously hindered their offense. Like that, like the Jets keyed in on that and they took advantage of it and they ended up coming coming up victorious. Look, Justin, if the Jets, if the fucking Jets can
2: beat the Rams, the Seahawks can beat the Rams, okay? Of course we can beat the Rams. I didn't say it was a zero percent chance. Uh um... true. I mean, I don't, I honestly don't think the running back for them matters that much. It's how much we can get pressure because at the end of the day, I mean, I, I don't know if there's a big drop off on our run defense having Cam Akers available or having going with Daryl Henderson or Malcolm Brown versus us getting pressure and dinking and dunking. Yeah. Yeah. I
0: don't know. We'll, we'll see. see. We'll see. It'll be interesting. Um, I, I, tend to agree with Sam though I think this is going to be a higher scoring affair. I I think we're our our defense is going to struggle against this offense. Um but I I think the offense I think our offense I should say comes out firing and and looks a little bit more like earlier in the year, but a, a little bit different. I think I think the the whole fact that we've been running a fair amount in the past few games and really establishing that part of our offense is going to come into play with play action in this game have like four or five super explosive plays and long touchdowns in this game either to dk or i really want to think that it's going to be josh gordon and and maybe it's just wishful thinking i'm a seahawks fan i get it but um i think i think the hawks come out on top 35 to 31 yeah, fun and, game, and they win the game. I think that, that that's like borderline game of the year, there. Like,
2: if if it all plays out correctly, so Sam, can I ask you a quick question before we jump ahead?
1: Yeah, always.
2: Is, is the big reason you're changing your pick from before, uh, because the Rams lost to the Jets?
1: Uh, yes, <laughs> <laughs> it's a I factor, think that's a, Justin. That's a yeah. bad that's a a
2: terrible terrible loss it's the worst loss you could possibly have
1: yes that is the main reason why i'm changing my pick okay that is the main reason other reasons is i do feel like i am pleased to see the effectiveness that we've had running the ball with chris carson carlos hyde obviously broke off the big run but i think With Rashad Penny even coming back, I just think that gives us more balance. I think Connor's right on in terms of bringing up the addition of Josh Gordon. You know, obviously, playing condition is something to take into account here, but I think Josh Gordon, Josh Gordon, DK Metcalf out wide with Tyler Lockett in the slot is that's a nice, hell of a,
0: that's a hell of a wide receiving core.
1: It's a nice lineup. So I'm hopeful that we'll be able to kind of hit our stride offensively here. And I do think that defensively we've made pretty, I mean, a pretty dramatic turnaround to the kind of defense that we are putting out on the field earlier this season. We were on pace to be the, you know, historically worst defense in NFL history. Right. So I think that is, a theme with this team that hasn't been talked about quite enough is I think defensively we've played pretty well. When given the chance to, you know, maybe take five, six plays off in between drives would be nice. So if we can yeah. accomplish that, I think we'll have more success against the Rams defensively than we've become accustomed to based on the history that we've already cited.
0: Justin, you mentioned a lot of dink and dunk against us and like the success with that. And I completely agree that that has been kind of historically the way to beat the Seahawks. Cause we tend to play a little bit off coverage, like especially like in situations that we're in the lead and stuff, you know, um, we've seen Phillip rivers, carve us up with dink and dunk and all that stuff. But um, the one thing that I'll say about this last game against Washington is that I noticed like when they were doing kind of a dump off or an underneath route, like, and Haskins was hitting that we had a linebacker tackling that like almost right away with exception to Logan Thomas obviously Logan Thomas kind of went off against us but I felt like a lot of the underneath routes that were kind of like you know the second or third read for the quarterback kind of the the dump off option we were tackling those kind of right after the catch and they were only we were we were minimizing those to and mitigating those to you know four or five yard gains so I think I don't think that's necessarily I, I don't know if, I, I don't know if I would call that a turning point or anything like that like a, a against against the grain of what we've seen for years with Pete Carroll's defense but it is something that I noticed against Washington I don't know if you noticed the same
2: I did. Uh, I also think Haskins, uh, I mean, quickness to find open receivers, scheme, offense. I, I feel like the Rams are a lot better. Obviously that's not evident. For yeah. the Jets I mean, game, that's, but you know, no, but that's, I, I mean, that's the, I think that's obvious that yeah,
0: the Rams are definitely better than, than Washington at scheming.
2: So we'll see what happens. Um, you know, Rams winning five of six against us. Lowest points scored against us with the last matchup 23 to 16 so we'll see what happens yeah. should be a great game either way I, I think if we are
0: if we are able to generate pressure like you said Justin and maybe able to I, th- I think we are going to need a couple turnovers in this game mm-hmm. I think that's also key but um I just I see this offense uh kind of having a breakout game going into the playoffs. I think it's just it's a it's a huge week all these players are going to be up for it uh i think jamal adams is going to play out of his mind like he's fired up to be in the playoffs and not used to being in this situation and i think he's a he's a player that typically will will show up when the lights are bright and the spotlight's on him so i like our chances i like our chances So let's talk a little bit about these playoff scenarios before we do pro dogs and wrap up. So if we win, we either are going to be the second or third seed. Um, We would need likely the um, saints to lose. We have a super outside shot, the one seed, I guess, but the Packers, I think have to lose out for us to get the one seed. So it's likely the second or third seed. We would need the Saints to drop a game, and we would obviously have to win against the Niners in Week 17. So that put us the two, at the two seed, which we likely are playing the Cardinals at home in that wild card matchup. The other scenario is we end up the three seed, which is I think is probably the most likely scenario, even if we win on Sunday. And we would play the Rams at home. The other scenario is we lose, obviously. And then the Rams end up winning the division in week 17. And actually, it's more likely that we would be the six seed, Justin, than the five seed. Because Tampa... Tampa wins out, yeah. Yeah, So, and they have the tiebreaker against us. So um, if if they lose against Detroit on Saturday, obviously that changes things, but, um, but most likely scenario, if we lose and we don't win the division, we're going to be the six seed. So that brings us likely to LA to play the Rams. So two out of those three scenarios, we're playing the Rams. Um, there's also a scenario that we're the three seed and possibly the bucks are the six seed. So that's also possible. I guess out of those three matchups four if you count home and away, I guess against the Rams, what's your preference? And I think no matter what, it's going to be a stacked box against the Seahawks, because even if they play, so you're either playing the Rams or the Cardinals or the Bucks. So you're talking Kyler Murray, Jared goof. I have no confidence in Jared, Jared Goff in the playoffs, but Um, like I, kind of want the Rams in the playoffs. I'll, I'll hint at that now. And then, uh, Tom Brady, obviously historically, probably the best quarterback ever to play the game. And then in the second round, you're probably playing, playing breeze and the saints, the way that this goes. And then in the NFC championship, you'd probably be playing Aaron Rodgers at Lambeau. So it's going to be a tough matchup like, throughout the playoffs, no matter what. They're going to be playing – obviously, playoff teams are good, but they're going to be playing nothing but, like, proven quarterbacks, essentially, in in the playoffs and the NFC. Um, but what what do you think favors the Seahawks most, at least in that first matchup, but possibly throughout the playoffs?
1: Yeah. Can we switch sides and play in the AFC, AFC bracket? That would be nice. <laughs> I NFC's, guess I mean stacked.
0: Yeah, I mean uh, no matter what at some point you'd be coming up against Mahomes, which I wouldn't like that either. But you're probably no. coming up against Mahomes in the Super Bowl. So
1: Yeah. I'd say of the the potential outcomes, I would prefer the 2 seed against Arizona. Mm-hmm. I think you know, we're fighting over whether or not we're going to beat the Rams here or not and Justin's you know, gladly recounted history against the Rams has not been on our side. So I would not want to face the Rams for that reason. I definitely don't want to face Tom Brady in the playoffs. I don't think anybody does. So I think if you can combine, in my opinion, the preferred opponent with the better seed and home field advantage, I would take that any day over the other options I do think that, in my opinion, that's a likely scenario. I do think that the Saints could potentially lose this weekend. I mean, I think we'll basically know for the most part our seed after this week. If you look at the Saints and the Packers, they both play their most formidable opponent left on the schedule this week, as do we. The Packers are playing the Titans. I think the Packers are actually going to lose against the Titans. I think the Titans are a really bad matchup the Titans are still obviously playing for a lot in terms of seeding. So that'll bring the Packers to 11 and 4. I think we beat the Rams. That brings us to 11 and 4. And then I think the Saints absolutely could lose to the Vikings. I think that's a tough matchup for them as well. That would move them to 10 and 5 and put us in a tie, or that would put us in a tie for first. But because we, we would lost to the sort of freaking Giants, our conference record is worse. So, to your point earlier about a really outside chance of the number one seed, we would need the Packers to lose to the Bears in their last game Mm -hmm. of the season, which I don't think is going to happen. So, I think we'll end up at the two seed. Obviously, it kind of depends on how the, the wild cards shake out, but if it does end up being the Cardinals, I think that would be my preferred outcome. So... That's what I'm hoping for. I don't really want to get the three seed and play the Rams again. You know, two times in three weeks with the same team is never ideal in my mind. So, but I I do think I would prefer the two seed against the Cardinals. Justin, what are you what are you preferring?
2: Yeah, I think the two seed. I mean, obviously one seed if that's possible, but two seed would be ideal against the Cardinals. I think in the like, if we do win. And if the Rams lose to the Cardinals, uh, that presents an interesting scenario as well, because I think the Cardinals would then jump the Rams and be the sixth seed. So I think and if we, can we win... we could
0: possibly two, two seed against the Rams as a
2: seventh seed? Uh, no. So if we if all likelihood happens, but we, we beat the Rams and then the Rams lose to the Cardinals, but like the Saints win and... The Packers keep winning, or oh, okay, We're or whatever. St- We're oh, the three st- seed, Cardinals but the Cardinals beat, beat the six seed. Gotcha. Um, that's possible. Obviously, I think the Cardinals could beat the Rams. I think the Rams are a yep. team, but Cardinals could. But so that I, th- I think any likelihood that we play the Cardinals in the first round is my preferred, uh, preferred matchup. If we somehow fall to the five seed because we lose to the Rams and the Rams win out, but the Buccaneers lose a game. Playing Washington doesn't scare me too much, hopefully. I mean, hopefully we learn from this game and play a little bit better. We close it out, but we're a better football team than the Washington football team. So we should beat them. And so I think in order of priority, I'd, re- I'd likely want to be at home. So Cardinals, if we don't, I think winning at Washington is the easiest chance of winning and moving to the divisional round. And if not, then i mean i I hate both matchups against the Rams and the buccaneers uh, so I mean as long as it's at home, then I think we have a decent shot
1: yeah, I think the thing that throws such a wrench in this whole thing is the fact that the freaking Washington football team is sitting in the fourth spot because they're gonna be you know the division champs of the worst division in football potentially
2: sure. NFC least
1: yeah, and so the fact that they're gonna likely hold on to that fourth spot really you know brings a lot of quality teams into play in the five six seven seed so it'll be interesting how it all shakes out it'll be fun football to watch down the stretch but Connor you pose the question I imagine you're probably thinking along the same lines but what are your thoughts
0: yeah I mean obviously two seed would be the most ideal and the likely matchup in that scenario is the Cardinals. I I like our chances against the Cardinals in a third matchup. I think we match up decently well against them. Kyler Murray always kind of scares me just because he's very explosive and capable of kind of anything kind of like Russell Wilson is. Um, but I think we, we tend to pose more problems to the Cardinals than they pose for us. So I like that matchup. I, I get that the Rams have just beaten us so much. I just, I, I refuse to be scared of them though. Like I prefer to have a division opponent in that first matchup. I don't know why, but I would rather have the Rams than say, even going to Washington. Like I would have the, I would rather have the Rams at home. Let's just say that like as, as a three seed against a six seed. I would rather have that matchup than going to Washington. And part of that's also because I think that gets us deeper in the playoffs. I like our chances at new Orleans as a two, if they're the two seed Russell in a dome, like he's going to go off in that game. And I think drew Brees has been a shell of himself this year. I'm really not that scared of the saints offense, it's really their defense that is carrying them, and good defense. But I like our chances. I think our offense, if it starts clicking in these next couple of weeks, has a really good chance at at putting some points on it on a defense like the Saints. And then obviously you you'd probably face Green Bay in Lambeau um, in the NFC Championship. So that, that's that's kind of like my. I think that's kind of my prediction. I I think the most likely prediction for for me right now. I do think we win this game against the Rams this weekend and we end up the 3 seed and we play the Rams again at home in a couple of weeks. And I I know that matchup scares you. I completely feel the same way, Sam, that like two two games against the same division opponent within 2 weeks especially after you're coming coming off of a win. Again, I just I I'm not scared of Jared Goff. I'm a little scared of Sean McVay. I'm not scared of Jared Goff. I think if we either generate enough pressure or just throw him off his game just a little bit, he's going he's going to make errors. He's going to make a mistake and I Russell Wilson is infinitely better than Jared Goff. And in the playoffs, especially, I think the better quarterback typically wins. So I like that matchup. Probably a lot more than you guys do. I like our chances at the Saints just because I think um Russell was a way better quarterback at this stage of his career than Drew Brees is. And then I I mentioned earlier in the podcast winning in different ways is key to success in the playoffs. And the Seahawks team has certainly showed that. Not necessarily like in sexy ways. Like they have uh, the only game that they've obviously blown an opponent out is that Jets game. And then you could borderline say the the first game of the year against Atlanta. But them getting this running game going and um, the defense starting to turn a corner, they haven't really proven it against a good team. So that's why I'm really anxious to see how they look against the Rams on Sunday. And that's that's really going to, Really like uh, uh, solidify my opinion on this defense, but then being able to win in different ways and again a run game coming along, defense playing better is a recipe to possibly some s- success at Lambeau, and that's a tough place to play. Like that, like that's the exact scenario that you didn't want to happen is Green Bay getting the one seed. If New Orleans is the one seed, you can travel to a dome. But there's a good chance that you can still come out with a victory there but green bay is a tough place to play and i think running the ball is going to be key in a game like that and um i i think that having a a a stable of running backs like we do could play a key role in us possibly possibly coming out victorious but at least being in a game against against the Packers in an F- NFC championship there. So that's kind of how I foresee um, the playoffs possibly going. I mean, it, I think this next week is going to tell us a lot about the Seahawks team. This is a huge game against the Rams, and not only because it could be for the division, but it's just a really good test against a formidable opponent. Um, and and I think widely thought, at least going into last week, as if not the best but one of the best teams in the nfc probably top two or three so let's hope they come out on top guys justin please be positive they're gonna do it
2: i hope so i mean you're not there are not many bigger seahawks fans than me i just try to look at the stats and provide my Real. quote unquote realist takes yeah. um and i just i i would take us against most teams but I, I have the opposite view of Sam. I think they're going to be motivated and just the history against the Seahawks until I so, see it. Let me pose this one question
0: to you, Justin, before we move on to Pro Dogs. I know we've been going on for a long time here, but <laughs> if so, let's say we lose against the Rams, but we end up winning the division. Let's say mm-hmm. we beat the, beat the Niners and the Rams lose against the Cardinals and we still have that, Home game against the Rams for the the first round of the playoffs. Mm -hmm. Do you feel differently at that point? Like like us losing to, do you think like we could turn something around against them at that point?
2: Sure. I mean, I. It's. I mean, how many
0: how how many times do you see a team beat someone else three times in? I was just gonna say it's really hard
2: to beat the same team three times in a row in the same season. Would you be more confident? I don't know. I mean,
1: uh, 41%. I, 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 I,
2: okay. I don't know. I mean, the Rams are just have been a terrible matchup for us. I mean, really, we should have lost the last six games against them. So I don't know. I, I hope we see something good in this game. But
0: Justin, if they end up winning by 10 points in this game, how are you feeling about the playoffs at that point?
2: If the Seahawks win by 10 points? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I feel really good. Yeah. To be all chipper, you're never, you're not going to see a more happy person on your podcast or calling in or voice messages next week if we win by more than ten.
0: Well, that's what Sam has us has us doing. So I really hope that, that comes true.
2: All you right, do. Pro
0: Dogs, you guys, we got a really busy list here, and um, yeah, I think I think that as quiet as it's been the last couple of weeks, this is as busy as as it's been all year. Start off with uh, the Cardinals here. A couple Cardinals here on this list. Obviously, the one Cardinal that we typically talk about is Buddha Baker, who did make the Pro Bowl today. So shout out to Buddha Baker. He is the lone Husky uh, representing the Dogs in the Pro Bowl.
1: Third this year. Pro Bowl in four years.
0: Yeah. So congratulations to Buddha again. Uh, one of one of the best safeties in the league and. Um, really wish he was a Seahawk. <laughs> Won't say much more than that. Uh, but let's let's talk about Byron Murphy and obviously a, a corner that only played at UW for three years and really wish that we would have played him more his his true freshman year. But nonetheless, we did get a couple good years out of Byron Murphy in a Husky uniform. Played a really solid game on Sunday. Four tackles, also had a sack and three passes defense. So um about as I mean that's that's as solid as a game as you can ask for from a from a cover corner like Byron Murphy. He didn't even start I think he was playing mostly slots for them. So seems to be finding a home in Arizona pretty well though. Um the guy that we haven't talked about though on the Cardinals yet that used to wear purple and gold is Zeke Turner and mostly been a special teamers for for Zeke um for for the Cardinals this year and really showed out in this game though on two special teams plays he had a punt block and then he also on a fake punt had a 26 yard reception so zeke turner was a former safety for the huskies and he was a kind of a big hitting safety like he was a a, oh yeah like a, a hard hitting guy physical player and definitely uh has found his home in Arizona as a special teamser he's definitely like kind of been one of their better special teams players uh over the past few years but nice to see him get a little bit more some like you know statistic type plays like you know with a punt block and and a and a reception on a fake punt so good to see Zig Turner's name in the news this week
1: yeah another shout out here for another name we haven't really brought up is Nick the Brick Harris baby. The Cleveland Brown starting right guard went down and Nick Harris filled in admirably. And he actually was there's a there's a nice quip from the the post-game conference from Jarvis Landry, the wide receiver. And he, he was talking about how he had never seen Nick Harris, even in practice, play right guard. And he he said something like, I don't know how much right guard Nick Harris has ever played. Obviously us being Husky diehards, we know he's played right guard quite a bit. His true freshman year, he came in and started at right guard for us in that game against Alabama. And then obviously ended up taking over the center duties there, but Nick Harris, you know, we've talked about him in the podcast before being such a lowly rated recruit, really hardly even had offers coming out of high school from, you know, group of five and even fcs teams weren't really interested And in dedication hard work and heart have not only led him to a successful college career but he i i've re-watched that game just to kind of watch and see how he did he played really well for the browns and i think he can carve out a role for him on that team. I'm not really familiar with how severe that injury was to their right guard. Yeah. I'm not sure. I
0: know he was questionable to come back whenever they designated his injury. So
1: yeah, but as a rookie, that's impressive to step into a position that you haven't been playing for that team. And I do think Nick Harris has a chance at carving out a decent NFL career for himself, especially after what we've seen from him this past weekend was, I thought was very impressive.
0: Yeah, I think the biggest thing that you look for in like a fill-in role is that you don't notice them on the field, right? And yeah. you didn't really notice Nick Harris. Um, and I think that's that's a good thing, though. He didn't really like get run over or make glaring errors in that game as far as missed assignments. So, um, yeah, I, th- I think he, I think he played solid, and it was really good to see him play a little bit more of a consistent role in the Cleveland Browns offense and a a team that's going to be in the playoffs. So um, hopefully, I guess, never hoping for an injury or anything like that, but you know, hopefully he, he proved enough that he's able to stay in that starting starting role uh, for the, for the Cleveland Browns going into the playoffs.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm pulling for him. It's, he's an easy person to root for, for sure. I think another person that's easy to root for is Hunter Bryant. I know we, Called him out in our last pro dog segment in terms of getting healthy and on the active roster this weekend, he had his first NFL reception and it was a big one for 44 yards showed off some of that mismatch ability that he has in terms of size, speed combination got open and has Hunter Bryant has some extremely strong hands. And when he gets his hand on the ball, he generally catches it and Really happy for him. I know he's had some injury battles throughout his career, particularly in a husky uniform. So he's with the Detroit Lions. It'll be interesting to see if he can carry this momentum into the offseason, stay healthy. And I think he's a playmaker. And when he's a hundred percent, he's a tough he's a tough guy to cover. So excited to see what he can do. And then Kevin King with the Packers, obviously trending towards being the number one seed he's a mainstay for them at corner with six tackles last weekend forced fumble fumble recovery took it for 48 yards there was a fumble on a qb sneak on the goal line and
0: probably should have housed that but
1: yeah i've watched it a couple times he was being he had a wide receiver that had an angle on him he had another wide receiver chasing him down
0: I, i i i just think that probably you know Buddha and probably Zeke and Taylor Rapp. Some of those guys are probably giving him a hard time.
1: About, oh, they're about that. Yeah, absolutely giving him a hard time. But nonetheless, a hell of a play. Scooped it up, took it. You know, half the field. Gave his offense a good starting field position on the turnover. So he's also himself has battled a couple of injuries throughout the year, but another strong performance from Kevin King. And then, Connor, I know you're excited about our final pro dog here. Savon Ahmed had a hell of a day for the Miami Dolphins.
0: Our AFC team, man. Justin, do you want to talk about Savon Ahmed? or I mean, I can too, but I just didn't know if you wanted to weigh in on this segment.
2: I mean, it's fantastic. I mean, the Dolphins, you say your AFC team. I mean, what a two-headed monster backfield with Gaskin and Ahmed back there fun and just to see his running style i mean i know there's a personal backstory that you can speak more to than i can probably but just seeing his running style and just bowling over people the trick play for the two-point conversion too i mean Mm -hmm. he was involved in all aspects of that game and it was really cool to see
0: yeah the obviously the dolphins are they heavily incorporate their running backs in their offense and what's cool to see is that we have two dogs in that in that backfield and Obviously uh, uh, Gaskin is the first guy that they would go to, but he's out with COVID. So and fills in Selvon Achman, and he goes off for 122 yards on 23 carries and has a touchdown as well. And like you said, the two point conversion. So it's, it, it's really awesome to see a guy that goes undrafted succeed this much in his rookie year. Um, Obviously we've seen that kind of story around the league like forever, but it's cool to see a Husky do that. We haven't really seen that from a Husky, especially from that running back position. Um, So Salvan, I feel like didn't really ever feel like reach his full potential in a Husky uniform. I thought he definitely obviously showed flashes of it in certain games and had big games, you know, notably like the Oregon state game in 2019. He had a, had a massive day. I think he had a really good day against Boise state as well Mm -hmm. in the bowl game. So he's had, he's had his fair share of good days, but he's never really shown it consistently and shown, uh, as obviously had the, the big explosive run against USC last year, but I feel like we should have seen more of those in a Husky uniform, but nonetheless, it's really good to see him succeeding on it in the NFL. And obviously a, a guy that left early, um, and could have come back this year. Uh, I mean, hindsight's 2020, 20. it wouldn't have been worth it. I don't think for him to come back this right. year. Um, and obviously is carving out a role with this Miami dolphins offense. So uh, it couldn't be happier for Salvan also a local kid out of Juanita. So the it's, it's, it's great to see someone from this area and, and from, from the greater Puget sound area originally to succeed in the NFL, um, couldn't be happier for Salvan and, and really rooting for, for him and, and this dolphins team. It'd be fun to see like, you know, a Dolphins Seahawks matchup in the super bowl. It, Obviously, we would cheer for the Seahawks, but like there'd be some torn and conflicted like feelings there with wanting to see both Gaskin and and Solvon do well.
1: Yeah, I'm Dolphins are the team in the AFC for sure. They're for sure. fun to watch. Obviously, we're biased as Husky fans, but they're
0: young and like Brian Flores is a really good coach too. I, I like him yeah. a lot. So, yeah,
1: fun team to watch. So, if you are board and you're looking for another team to watch? Check out the Miami Dolphins. They got Tua Tungavailoa at quarterback yep. from Alabama. Check them out; they're fun to watch. And yeah, they give your play, dog some love.
0: I think they play Saturday night against the the Vegas Raiders on NFL Network. So if you guys have that that channel, definitely check them out. All right, guys. Is there anything else that we want to touch on? I think we're probably getting close to wrapping here. If not wrapping now, so.
1: I'm good. Let's good, let's go. give it a wrap.
0: Let's give it a wrap. All right, uh, Justin. Again, I'll obviously, thank you for coming on. Again, we're we're keeping you up late, but we always appreciate your insight and having some analytics portrayed on the podcast. Sam, gotta and I have not, the
1: analytics. Gotta yes, have them.
0: Sam and I are not as strong in that department, so we appreciate your insight and always your perspective on on all things Seattle sports. Uh, again. Check out check out Justin's podcast. Why don't you shout it out for yourself, Justin? Here.
2: Yeah, check out over the top EPL, where we cover all things English Premier League, which is soccer. Um, this la- latest episode, which will come out the same time as this one. We compare English Premier League teams to our favorite Christmas movies. So check it out. Nice. It's a fun one. Oh, we dang, gotta do I'll some. more. That a listen. I love that. We gotta do some more
0: fun segments on this. So we gotta do some brainstorming on that, Sam. I
1: Sounds like that.
0: Good. make me
2: eat crow guys i hope i'm wrong i really do and you can i'm gonna give that on my grave that i picked the i picked the rams so i hope i'm wrong oh man how happy are how
0: happy are we gonna be
2: sunday evening
0: if if the seahawks beat the rams
2: oh i'm super pleased static yeah
0: yeah i think i think that would that would be a a very very good christmas present for any seattle fan out there so Looking forward to it. It's it's a big week, folks. Definitely tune into that that game on Sunday, uh, Seahawks versus Rams, one twenty five on Fox. Our our good old pals Joe Buck and Troy Aikman are going to be on the call. It's the game of the week on Fox, and they're always on the game of the week. So
1: I'm Yo sure we'll Buck.
0: Be, Yeah, I'm sure we'll be yelling at Troy Aikman and his analysis in this game. But <laughs> yeah. I I feel bad for Joe Buck sometimes because I do think he actually is a is a good guy. He's just paired with a devil and Troy Aikman. So. anyway guys thanks for listening as always we appreciate the support subscribe and follow if you haven't already we're on all major podcast platforms apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify wherever you listen to your podcasts we are on those platforms so give us a follow and subscribe and uh obviously leave us a message on that on that anchor link in our description too we we like to interact with our our listeners so leave us a question or feedback or comments or predictions whatever you guys want to want to leave us we'll try to feature it in the next episode but until next time
1: go sounders go hawks and go dogs